Fred Rachani of TSC News. On this week's episode, we interview NFL agent Craig Doman of 360 Sports about the updated salary cap, the contracts rising and falling, and the latest on the 17-game season. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview from TSC. Thanks for having me on again. Hey man, 17 games is something that's been brewing now for more than five years. You know, the NFL is a is a money business and they're always looking for ways to increase revenue. Uh, everybody knows for goodness, probably the last 10, 15 years, the, the whole preseason has been a joke. Uh, teams don't know what really to do with the four games. You know, sometimes they're cutting guys before the fourth game that maybe should be playing in the fourth game. The vets and the super starters, you don't really know what to do with them. So now we've knocked that down to three, you know, after last year having, you know, a couple. So bottom line is, <clears throat> I think that the biggest thing with respect to the 17 games is not so much the money. It's really the records. You know, now you have one more game to get to a thousand yards. Now you got one more game to get to 5,000 yards passing. What does that do for the records and how do we compare 16 versus 17? And I'm sure they went through this, you know, a couple decades, three decades ago when they went from 14 to 16. And because we had 16 games for so long, it really became a mood issue. But for the next three or four years, especially as it pertains to even negotiations, how do you compare apples to oranges when you're comparing 16 versus 17? So I'm asking you, Fred, what do you think? Man, I didn't think about it from a record standpoint. That, that's pretty interesting. And you brought up a – that's a really good point you brought up. And it actually makes me think since, you know, I'm talking to, I'm talking to an agent here, incentive-based deals. Would you see that inclining more players to take incentive-based deals based on the fact that, well, now you got one more game to reach that goal? I would say no because what, what players want is more guaranteed money mm-hmm. because all it takes is one play on one day – to get hit and your season's over. So the incentives are, are basically a wash. And so how can, so from a player's perspective is, how can you get drafted the highest as, as possible? Not because it's so cool to be in the third versus the fourth, because there's more moolah. I mean, the more money you get, the better. And then when you get paid, what everybody's looking at is not so much, hey, you've got to, you know, a, a billion zillion dollar deal. It's what are you really getting? What's the worst case scenario? What if the coach that that went to bat for you and the GM that signed you isn't there at the end of year one? And the new people that come to town, the new sheriff in town doesn't even want you on the team. What are you going to get? Sometimes players are on the team, not because they want them, but because they have to keep them. And as a player, you always want to out, outperform your contract because if you continually outperform your contract, you will play forever in perpetuity until your body falls apart. But as soon as you underperform, now you the leverage switch you know shifts to the team and you don't know what's going to happen. So that guarantee becomes really important. So when those guys are signing those mega deals, and let's say 50% is guaranteed. That means 50% is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So as an agent, what you care about is maximizing the certainty of the money that's in the contract, not so much wanting to have incentives 
So if your guy has the world's best year ever, he can make more. Because if your client has the world's best year ever, you're going to go back to the, you're going to behind closed doors. You're going to go to the GM and say, Hey, we got to redo this deal. I can see it just affecting things in, in so many ways. Also, you know, in terms of the patience a team might have with a player, I'll just throw out a name like Carson Wentz because he was in the news, you know, this past season. Like, you know, does a team, if a guy like Carson Wentz struggles down the stretch, does a team make a move sooner knowing they have that, you know, extra game as opposed to saying, ah, you know, there's only four games left or X amount of games left, you know, we roll with them. So it's, it's def- definitely um, very interesting. Now, the other interesting thing that I don't think enough people are talking about is the change in salary cap. So, I have a lot of questions about this. Like, I guess, I guess my first question is for anybody that kind of doesn't understand what's going on right now with the salary cap, can you as an agent, as a person that's negotiating on behalf of players, kind of break down how the economics have changed for the players on the free agent market? Yeah, so we, we talk about <clears throat> players taking pay cuts all the time. Well, in this case, the teams took a pay cut. So they, they took a $15 million haircut, but because the salary cap is not a hard cap, it's a soft cap. Because we can amortize signing bonuses, prorate signing bonuses into the future, and the cash and the cap typically don't equal each other in any given year, it really doesn't matter. Yes, the teams can complain in negotiations, hey, we need your guy to take a haircut, we need your guy to take a little bit less, we need your guy to sign a shorter-term deal, prove a deal, because we got $15 million taken off the cap, but yet they can still matriculate navigate through that salary cap and get everybody they want to get by structuring the contracts a little bit differently. So I really, even though it's, it's never a good thing to take a pay cut, whether you're, because the team pay cut trickles down to the players, but it doesn't prohibit the teams that are smart, that are good talent evaluators, that know the players they want to keep. It doesn't prevent them from keeping those players. Kansas City, some of these teams that are more in the top echelon teams, they're going to figure out a way. And the teams that are not winning, they're going to use the salary cap, the reduction in the salary cap as an excuse for for not paying top dollar because they're not winning. Now, not to pick on this guy because I do like him as a player, but uh, I read the news, you know, a couple weeks back where Juju Smith-Schuster decided to stay with Pittsburgh, which is great. But the problem is, uh, for the market, he reportedly stayed for roughly half of what he probably could have gotten from another team in, in free agency. And while that's good for him, I'm looking around and I'm like, damn, that might not be good for the market. Although Kenny Galladay did end up getting paid uh, by the Giants. When you see players, particularly players of, of that skill level or higher, take a, a pay cut to remain with the team, even if it's good for them, does a part of you as an agent say, damn, man, you kind of just ruined it for everybody else? No, because even though he does impact the market, every single negotiation is independent of all the others. And there's no question that the teams are going to cherry pick their deals and say, hey, this guy got less money. You should take less money. And the agents are going to cherry pick deals and say, hey, this guy that probably didn't deserve it got a lot of money. So my guy should get a lot of money. There's no question that stuff goes on. But I think there's three factors in any negotiation that is relevant to our conversation right now. One is that what are the non-monetary components of a deal or a situation that make it attractive for a client, for a player? So is it, is it you know, might have kids in school, might be, there might be something going on in his family where he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to sell his house and move across the country. Money only does so much for you. So let me ask you the question. If you had 
eight million this year or 15 million, what can you do with 15? You can't do with eight. Right. Yeah. Fair point. Fair. And so, yes, you can blow a lot more money when you got 15 and obviously uncle Sam's got his hand in your pocket, but the bottom line is it's, there's a, there's a joy and happiness component to this thing too. So, so number one is the non-monetary components. The second one is the behind the scenes conversations that have taken place. I'm not privy to them, but they always happen. And it's something like, Hey, we just want you to do this deal. Um, before November 1st, we're going to revisit it and we're going to make it right. And we're going to be able to pay you a lot more than we could pay you right now. And if we pay you what we could pay you in October today, it hurts our offense because we are limited. We're, we're cap strapped to go get some other guys that we may be able to get. We don't know what's going to happen in the draft, depending on what happens in the draft, it's going to make it more, it's going to make it better for you and better for us to do it later. So that's the second thing. And then I think the third thing is that if you broke down a long-term deal into parts, like if we take any long-term deal and break it into a one-year deal, it could make Juju's deal look even worse or it may make it not look as bad. Depends on which one you pick. So I saw an extension today with Lockett. I don't know what the, you know, 69. I don't know how much was guaranteed. I just saw it, you know, 15 minutes ago. But the bottom line is, I guarantee you it's better than Juju's, okay? However, depending on how much is guaranteed, it may not be that much better. Because if, if Schuster gets to redo his deal sometime before the season's over, and he's going to go get 60% guaranteed, well, hey, we're talking about a calendar year. Instead of getting it in March or April, you're getting in October, and you're being told you're going to get more if you wait seven months. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of short-sighted guys say, I need my money. I don't care if I got to move to a, a different team in a different city with a quarterback I don't even like in a system that I'm not a good fit with taxes that are higher than where I'm at now. I don't care. I'm ready to go. Other people go, hey, I can sit, I can chill. I can make a decision that's not only good for me, but good for the team. 2020, thank God we survived it. We're all good, knock on wood. But a lot of things have changed. We talked off the air about just pro days and everything's virtual. We were both at the scouting combine last year, which was the last kind of major in-person NFL event for media and agents. And that could have easily been a super spreader event. You know, It was two weeks removed from when everything kind of shut down. Uh, now everything's via Zoom, via Microsoft Teams. Uh, you, you're, you don't have as much physical contact with players, with teams. As an agent, how much has your life and day-to-day business changed since the pandemic happened? I think it's it's it reflects society. I mean, we don't have as much contact with our clients. We're not in person with team people as much. Uh, there's not these events that you can go to and just run into guys that maybe you haven't spoken to in a minute and reconnect, have a beer or whatever it may be. That's the biggest thing that's changed. But as far as like the, the normal operations of helping your clients navigate through their careers, maximize their money, make good decisions, um, improve their situations. You know, not everybody, you know, typically talking heads talk about the superstars, but there's that dude that's like, he's second string. He, he was, you know, he was second team in 2020. He's going to have a breakout year in 2021. He may be an unrestricted free agent in 2022, and he's going to break the break the bank. 
how can you help that young man capitalize on his opportunity when we both know that they're probably going to draft somebody early in the draft to compete with them because he's cheaper, younger, and probably healthier. And they don't want the second string guy to make it. They want him to stay at the second string. So these, there's a lot of movement. So on a, on a normal year, I think it's a, approximately around 23 roster spots, give or take. And it's, it's case by case, team by team. There's a turnover of 23 out of the 53. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the percent is, but it's north of 40%. So with that being said, how can you help your clients be the beneficiary of that movement? And so I think there's normally two perspectives in this business. One is how high are your guys going to get drafted? What are the first rounders going to do? How much impact are they going to make? All the quarterbacks that get drafted this year in the first round, how soon can they become the starter? How fast can they get their team to the playoffs? All those things. Every year, it's the same, same story. And the second story is the guys that are making a lot of money. But we're only talking about a handful of guys out of 53 that we just, in, that, in those two groups. And if you really want to be a, have a championship team, like if you look at Belichick and what he did in New England for a couple decades, it's all those other things that people didn't think were important that were important. Culture, getting guys that might be at the end of their career that have something to prove that are going to always outplay their money. If you got a lot of guys in your locker room outplaying your money, it's going to show up in the win column. And at the end of the day, sports has become more about money than anything. But it's really about winning trophies and championships because the money is always hanging around. When teams win championships, whoever has the Lombardi at the end of the year, it's kind of funny. Everybody gets paid. And if the team they're with doesn't, can't afford to keep them, somebody else wants them. So I really think that part of my job with our, with our players is focus on player development, improving your importance to your team, making a bigger impact on the field, winning, winning, and the money will chase you. It will literally chase you down. Where I think a lot, of, there's a large segment of the, of the, the players that are chasing the money. What do I got to do to get paid? Well, that's, that's, that's generally a shortcut mentality. And if you have a shortcut mentality, usually a lot of times you don't get paid. Fantastic insight right there. And yeah, I mean, you talk about, and even, you know, you talk about guys that could, that can get paid anytime if they keep winning. Also, you know, some guys are, are a bit of late bloomers. I mean, Derek Henry's always been a really talented NFL player. Now he's regarded as, as one of, if not the, the best running back, but when he first got into the league, he was good, but he, but I mean, he wasn't this good, you know, like some guys take more time you know, to develop. And as his team improved, as his team started going to the playoffs and expectations rose, so did his money. Um, so did his contract. And yeah, you talked about Bill Belichick. I mean, you've, I believe you've repped some guys that have been on the Patriots that these guys that come in, maybe are a little unheralded that are kind of like the glue guys, good locker room guys. And, you know, they end up stepping up when it matters most. And at the end they do get paid. Okay. So I'm going to turn into the interview for a second, Fred, <laughs> who we take in in the first, who we take in with the, who's give me the order of the first five quarterbacks. If it were me, I'd say Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, 
Mac Jones. Actually, I, I think honestly you could toss up between Mac Jones and um, Trey Lance. There's probably some other guys I'm forgetting, but those are probably the five, like the top, like the top five, like I'd say. Have you noticed this almost gravitational pull that's going on in the league right now that teams want young, cheap quarterbacks? Mm-hmm. Ever since I think it was uh, Bradford with OU was the last guy that got like the $72 million deal. Now I've got it down to 30, you know, low 30s in the, for the first pick. So it's like you can take more shots at quarterbacks. So a lot of the quarterbacks are getting overdrafted. And then there's a trend, there's another trend that's going on in the league right now, and the Rams are kind of doing it um, in a backdoorish way. They're wanting to get back to having a young quarterback because the teams that have the best chance to build a championship locker room have a quarterback on their rookie deal. And so once they paid golf and he wasn't taking them to the promised land, they bring in Stafford, but he's not going to play forever. And I'm not sure. I think he's 37 or something like that. Maybe 35, somewhere in there. He's actually younger. I think he's only like, uh, he, he's still like in his early mid thirties, but yeah, he's, been, he's got, he's got mileage though. He's definitely, he's taken his hits. He's got, he's got mileage for sure. And he's won about uh, 43% of his play of his games. So that's a guy that may or may not know how to win. So even though when you got Aaron Donald and a bunch of studs on defense and you, you build an, I'm not hating on Matthew Stafford. I'm just saying he doesn't, he hasn't shown that he knows how to win. He's shown there's certain quarterbacks that show that they've got arm talent. They can make the throws, but they haven't shown that they can win. He's one of those guys. And you can blame Detroit. You can blame his own line. You can blame the GM. You can blame everybody. But the reality of it is none of those guys are playing quarterback. Mm -hmm. So it'll be really interesting because if he balls out, the guy, the front office in, in L.A. is going to look like geniuses. But if he doesn't pan out, they're still going to look like geniuses because they're going to draft a rookie. And they're going to start the whole cycle again. So, you know, it's it's it didn't used to be this way. But now you really want to be a franchise with a young quarterback that has the potential to take you to the show. And if he doesn't, you just go get another one. It's a good because, point. Right? Because if you take a quarterback with the let's say the 20th pick, that's that's one fourth. His whole contract is one fourth of what Mahomes is making in one year. Mm-hmm. So it's not that much money. And the other part that's happened, and I feel like a trend in the league is we commoditized running backs a handful of years ago. Probably been 10, 12 years ago, where the, we, teams looked at him as like, we can, re, we can just get, we can, we can do running back by committee. We can find somebody on the trash heap after the final cuts and he can come and be, be a serviceable starter. I think because of the influx of mega talent at the receiver position coming out of college last year, this year, Probably every year from now on, these guys are phenomenal. They're commoditizing the receiver position. And not everybody. So there's been a few that have gotten paid the mega bucks. But Juju was probably one of those guys caught up in, hey, man, we can't budget that much money for receiver right now. And I think you're going to see more of that. And the reason why is because 
teams are paying their quarterbacks 40 plus million. And if they're not paying them 40 plus million, they got a really good one and he's on a rookie deal. That's what they're going to be paying him like the bills. Right. So the bills will probably be one of those franchises that don't have a high pace, high paid, not a top 10 high paid uh, RB or receiver. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think that trend of, getting a quarterback on a, on a cheaper deal ever since kind of the rookie wage scale got adjusted. I mean, really, I think, honestly, if I'm looking back, I think the two teams that really kind of started the trend or made it more popular, were probably the Niners with Colin Kaepernick when they went to the Super Bowl and Russell Wilson, because when he won the, I would think it was the Super Bowl second year and, and, and won. And then of course, you know, they did end up paying him over time, but for a while, you know, he was on, he was on that cheap rookie deal. And then of course, a few years later, he had Dak Prescott, you know, with the Dallas Cowboys, he was a later round pick. He wasn't a, First round pick, you know, God bless him. He just got paid now, but, you know, it took a while. So, yeah, I agree. I I could absolutely uh, see some teams saying, you know what, maybe maybe we'll go that route. And you mentioned the Rams. I think it's interesting. And this is something I want to ask you, too, but I'll bring him up real quick. Uh, John John Wolford, I I believe he he had a stint with the Alliance of American Football, the short-lived one. And there's still a lot of people that think he has potential. And to the best of my knowledge, he's still on their roster. And he would have been the starter had he not gotten injured and Jared Goff came came back in for him, well-liked guy with, with, within the organization, everything. Uh, do you think it's going to be a little bit easier now for some teams to evaluate quarterbacks that maybe got drafted in the later rounds and got cut or maybe got undrafted at all now that, you know, there's no AAF anymore, but CFL still around, XFL is, is getting rebooted by The Rock and, and uh, Dan Garcia, and sounds like they're going to be working possibly with, with the CFL down the road. Um, I mean – I don't know. You know football a lot better than me. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like somebody's success there? Like, let's just say, I don't know, somebody doesn't make the make the make the cut uh, this year. Somebody gets undrafted, but they were somewhat of a prominent quarterback um, in college. If you see them balling out, like say in the CFL or or XFL, could you see it translating more to them getting signed and getting a real opportunity down the road in the NFL? I actually think they have a better opportunity in the NFL after they've gone somewhere else and performed. I think the probably the highest barrier to entry for uh, an NFL prospect is a quarterback that's not drafted in the first two days. You don't get drafted in those first two days. They absolutely will not give you an opportunity unless they have to. So if you look at Gardner Minshew down in the Jags, he wasn't given that opportunity. They had no choice. He was like the fourth quarterback a couple of years ago. So when you start looking at, organizations that have found quote unquote found a, a, a late guy, late draft pick or undrafted guy. It's never by design. It's always by accident. It's always by necessity. And so if you're one of those young men, that's a college quarterback, that's talented, you've got all the ingredients, but you're missing something. It's might be one of your measurables. You, your arm talent isn't quite up to par you're, you're six foot and yeah, everybody can talk about Russell Wilson and Drew Brees and all the guys that have done it, but there's way more guys that haven't done it that have been that hype, right? So you're not going to get the opportunity. And now with three preseason games, which is really an audition for the backside of your roster, 25% of your games just got eliminated. And last year when we went from 90 to 80 because of COVID and because of the, you know, the preseason game situation, those guys didn't get an opportunity. So my thinking is, if a young man gets drafted in the seventh round and he's a quarterback, he's got to go in and tear it up. Even if he does, nobody sees it. 
because it's all behind closed doors. They're going to cut him, maybe put him on the practice squad. The best thing he can do in a lot of cases is go play in one of these secondary leagues, be the dude, and then come back to the NFL. Because when he comes back to the NFL, he has a different brand. He has a different image. They, it's just the way the business is. And so, unfortunately, what's going on right now is we're, we're our supply, the supply chain for quarterbacks in the NFL is coming from two places. Early in the draft, generally in the first round, because third rounders are getting drafted in the first round at the quarterback position. Okay. And savvy vets that are in their 30s that can get you through a game. The Chase Daniels of the world, the Ryan Fitzpatrick's of the world. Those guys, you they, they always have a job, but they all got a they both they both got a breakthrough. And I don't remember exactly when Ryan got his breakthrough, but he wasn't, you know, he's a seventh rounder out of Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. They didn't want him to be the guy. He was on multiple teams before he got the opportunity. Chase Daniels. I mean, he's he doesn't even look as good as Russell and, and Drew. They didn't, nobody wanted him to be the guy. So with that being said, if you are not an elite, if you're not, if you're a quarterback and you come through the draft and you're not drafted in a, at an elite level, first round, good luck. Last time I checked, my friend, not only were you an agent by day and sometimes at night, but you also are a podcast host. Are you still hosting that? And can you tell us where we could find that? Yes, you can go to my podcast, Pro Mindset Podcast. It's everywhere you can find a podcast. And what I'd like to kind of share, if I can, real quick, is one of the elements of Pro Mindset, which is an identity triangle. And so for guys that are coming into the league, guys that are in the league that haven't broken through, maybe they've been on the the they've been on the 90 a couple times they keep ending up on the practice squad and they just cannot break through you got to have three things and they're really the abcs of your identity one is you got to have i'm gonna start with b you got to believe in yourself c you have to have confidence in your skills and a you have to have a great attitude and if you have a great attitude that's what other people see that's what other people sense about you Confidence in your skills. There isn't a there isn't a, a player that goes to NFL that's not confidence and doesn't have confidence in his skills. Now, maybe when they go against a little bit better competition, they start doubting themselves. But most of the guys that are at that level have the athleticism and they have the they put in the work. They've been successful in college. But the it factor and the greatness comes from really your belief in yourself. Do you got it? Do you not? Do you have it or don't you? And some guys got it, some guys don't. And I can tell you that from working in this business a long time, representing, you know, 100 plus draft picks, you can ask the old savvy vets about the rookies. About three weeks into training camp. Hey, what do you think of this guy? Oh, he never make it. Dude, he was a second rounder. No, nah, they're just going to keep him because they got the money invested in him and hope he figures it out. Hope the light comes on. Hope it clicks, all that type of thing. That guy's not going to be it. And why is that? It's because he doesn't have that identity that's consistent with greatness or success. And so as a, as a business person, as a volleyball player, or as an NFL guy, if you've got that identity triangle of belief, 
confidence and attitude, you got a chance to maximize your success.